from vacation and ready to continue our series on the Book of Judges. Today we're going to begin talking about Jephthah the Gileadite. And Jephthah was someone who was a bit of an outcast. He didn't really fit in with the norm and did things in his own peculiar way. You know, really not a stereotype, as it were. And so that's who we're going to begin talking about today. And we read about Jephthah in Judges chapter 11. So I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. It says that Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they, grow, when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, Didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. It's easy to see in this passage how Jephthah is seen as an outcast. His half-brothers don't like him because he's the son of another woman, and not just any other woman, but a, a prostitute that their father had slept with. And because of that, he's not seen as part of the family, because he's illegitimate. He doesn't have a rightful claim to the inheritance, and they refuse to let him have any part of the inheritance because of his origin. And so because of that, they drive him out. Jephthah, it says that he fled from his brothers, so he was fleeing because they were putting his life in danger. That's what it means to flee from something. You flee from danger. And they hated him that much that he had to flee. And where he went, because he was seen as such, this, such a great warrior, that these gain of scoundrels even gathered around him to follow him. It doesn't say that he went out and gathered them together. Rather, these group of people, these scoundrels, saw him for the mighty warrior that he was and began following him because of that. So he was very naturally a leader that would inspire other people, except for those like his brothers who felt threatened by him. And yet, there comes this time when the Ammonites begin fighting with Israel. And they all talk to each other and say, we need to go get Jephthah, because he is this mighty warrior. And all of a sudden, this issue that they had with Jephthah beforehand 
is no longer a big issue. They had an issue with Jephthah until there was this bigger issue that they needed to address, which was the Ammonites fighting them. So when the Ammonites came along and were fighting with them, they said, well, you know what? We could really use a mighty warrior like Jephthah right now. And sure, we drove him away because he was an illegitimate child, but you know, that doesn't really matter right now. And they even go so far to say that if he fights with them, that they will let him rule over them. So now not only are they saying you don't have to be an outcast anymore, they're saying we'll let you be our leader. Just please help us deal with this problem that we are having. And so what was once seen by them as a huge issue, now seemed inconsequential compared to this now bigger issue that had come up. And this is very consistent with human nature, that the smaller our perspective is, the bigger our problems will seem. So when they were in a time of peace, and they didn't have to worry about this army coming and killing them, they began to squabble about a person's origins, and where they came from, the manner of their birth. But once they had a bigger issue to deal with, they were looking things as, as a bigger picture rather than a smaller picture. And in that big picture, the manner of this man's birth didn't matter anymore. Certainly not as much as not dying or not being subjugated. And so as they kind of took a step back and really reevaluated things, they said, you know what? This really isn't as big of an issue as we thought it was going to be. And sure, it seemed like this big issue before, but it, it really doesn't now. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's a lot like when you go up in an airplane. and I, I know I've felt this way before, and I've heard people say the same thing, so perhaps you've felt this way before. Or maybe... You know, you're traveling, and, and there's all this stuff going on, and there's the day-to-day -day routine. And then you plan a trip, and you go and you get on an airplane. And as you take off, and you watch the world get smaller and smaller and smaller, you get further and further away. All of a sudden, those things that seemed like such a big issue before don't seem as big of an issue anymore. They seem so much smaller as, as the world around you physically begins to look smaller as you move further away from it. Our feelings about the issues that we are leaving behind also begin to feel smaller. And it's all about getting that bigger perspective so that those small things that used to seem so large when it's right up in your face, when it's right in front of you, it looks huge. But the further steps back you take, the smaller and smaller it appears. And so we have to make sure that we're having this greater perspective rather than just what's right in front of us. And one of the ways that our perspectives become so small comes from the fact that we are naturally self-centered. We're naturally selfish. We naturally care about our own comfort and desires. Forgetting how small of a perspective that gives us. 
And so as we begin to focus more and more on ourselves, it feels like there's more and more problems that we have to overcome and more issues that we have to address. And that's happening because our perspective is becoming so much smaller, so much more constrained into just ourselves. So that everything around us, everything that doesn't go the way we want it to or is inconvenient, looks like a bigger problem than it is. And what that can end up doing is making us feel like we're surrounded by insurmountable issues. There's so many great problems that we have to deal with. And that can make us feel hopeless. It can make us feel exhausted and worn out. That there's no way we can deal with all of these problems. And we can feel very hopeless, like there's never going to be an end to it. But when we take that bigger perspective, as, as we begin to look beyond just ourselves, we begin to look at the people around us. We begin to look at things not just from the perspective of us, but the perspective of our family and our community. As we take those steps out and look beyond ourselves, we'll begin to find hope because those things that used to seem like such great issues before look so much smaller. And especially when we then take God's perspective, which is the greatest perspective at all of all. And we remember that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing can stand against his power and authority. We'll find a lot more hope in the situation we're in, looking at it from God's eyes rather than just what we desire. And that's what happened here. They had an issue with Jephthah until all of a sudden there was a bigger issue. And then you know what? Jephthah's all right. He'll do okay. And in fact, he can even lead us if he can save us from this. And that's what happens. So then Jephthah accepts their offer and begins to lead them. And now let's look at what this mighty warrior does. The very first thing that he does in leading them in this battle against the Ammonites that has already been taking place. So continuing at verse 12, says, Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, What do you have against me that you have attacked my country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers, When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. So, I want us to notice here that the very first thing that Jephthah does coming into this battle is not to plan surprise attacks, it's not to reorganize the army or anything like that. The first thing that he does is send messengers to the enemy king. His first move was to open communications with his enemy. Now, in verse 1, it described him as a mighty warrior. And so we would naturally think that, okay, this is somebody experienced in combat. This is probably somebody that uh, has sought after combat, we might even say. And yet we see that, again, 
him not fitting these stereotypes and these norms of a mighty warrior now. He wasn't rushing into this battle. Instead, the first thing he does is to open communications and try to figure out why the king is attacking them in the first place. And it's clear, especially as we read on, that his intention here is to win the battle by coming to an understanding with the king, with the enemy king. And if he can build that understanding, then the war will cease, and there will be no need to fight a single battle if that's the case. And I believe that this is the trait that really makes him such a great warrior, because the greatest warriors aren't those who desire bloodshed. It's not those people that are ready and excited to take life and to attack and to destroy. They understand that sometimes it reaches that point when you are defending yourself that you need to do those things, but that that's not what you're seeking. That's not what you're after. That's not what you're trying to attain. What you're trying to attain is a peace. And so that's what Jephthah does by opening this communication to try to establish an understanding. Tell me, why are you attacking me? What issue is there that we can try to solve outside of the battlefield? Really, it's a, it becomes a battlefield focused more on ideas than on physical weapons. And that is the war that he begins trying to win. Because Jephthah understands that a continued lack of understanding only leads to escalation. But when there is understanding, it diffuses a situation. All of that anger, that tension, it comes from that misunderstanding most of the time, where two people think that they're right in what they are doing, but their views are opposing one another. And if there can be an understanding found between the two, then that's going to de-escalate the situation. But as long as there continues to be a lack of understanding between the two parties, it's only going to be to continue building and escalating into something worse and worse and worse. And we'll get to a modern day example of that in just a little bit. But I want to really highlight this to, to point out that we need to have that same desire where we want to pursue and promote communication with others, even if they are our enemies. That we try to come to an understanding with them. I'm trying to think of who it was off the top of my head. And I think it was Theodore Roosevelt, but I'm not 100% sure, that said, you defeat your enemy when you make them your friend, or you make them your ally. In other words, the, the battle can still be won, not just by beating down the other person, but by helping them come to an understanding, a shared understanding between you and them, so then that conflict no longer exists. 
And of course, I understand that not everyone is willing to cooperate in that, and it really does take both parties being willing to cooperate with that. And, you know, we'll see here that the Ammonite king was not willing to cooperate in that, and so that did lead to the conflict taking place on the battlefield afterwards. But Jephthah still tried to bring that understanding, and we should too, to pursue that communication, not just hope for fists to start flying, but if we can, to try to build that understanding so that we win in the war of ideals, which is far more important than the war of the physical world. And so that's what Jephthah tries to do. He asks the king, why have you attacked me? And he says that when Israel came up out of Egypt, that they took his land away, and he wants Israel to give his land back. Now let's look at Jephthah's reply after this demand has been made. In verse 14, Jephthah sent back messengers to the Ammonite king, saying, This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not take the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up out of Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and on to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Give us permission to go through your country. But the king of Edom would not listen. They sent also to the king of Moab, and he refused. So Israel stayed at Kadesh. Next, they traveled through the wilderness, skirted the lands of Edom and Moab, passed along the eastern side of the country of Moab, and camped on the other side of the Arnon. They did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was its border. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and said to him, Let us pass through your country to our own place. Sihon, however, did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. He mustered all his troops and encamped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. Then the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and his whole army into Israel's hands, and they defeated them. Israel took over all the land of the Amorites who lived in that country, capturing all of it from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the desert to the Jordan. Now, since the Lord the God of Israel has driven the Amorites out before his people Israel, what right have you to take it over? Will you not take what your God Chemosh gives you? Likewise, whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess. Are you any better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever quarrel with Israel or fight with them? For three hundred years, Israel occupied Heshbon, Arior, the surrounding settlements, and all the towns along the Arnon. Why didn't you retake them during that time? I have not wronged you, but you are doing me wrong by, wa- by waging war against me. Let the Lord the judge decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. So, This is a pretty long explanation that Jephthah gives in response. So let's break it down a little bit. The king of the Ammonites says, Hey, 
You took our land, the land of Arnon, and I want you to give it back. Jephthah says, we did not take your land. In fact, we asked if we could pass through your land, and you said no. So we went around that. And to the next person, the, the Moabites, we asked them, can we go through your land? And they said no. So we went, we marched all the way around the land of the Ammonites and Moab because you wouldn't let us pass through. And then we got to the place that was uh, held by not the Ammonites, but the Amorites. And we asked them, can we go through your land? And not only did they say no, but then they attacked us. And even though we had just been marching all this way to go around your territory, when they attacked us, we were still able to win. And that's because and that shows that it wasn't us that was winning that battle. That was the Lord our God giving us the strength that we needed, even though we were exhausted from marching around your territory, to defeat these people who then came and attacked us. And after they attacked us, we fought them off, we were victorious, and then we occupied that land. And we've been there for over 300 years, and nobody's had any arguments about it until now you come along and say that the land belongs to you, and that we took it when we came up out of Egypt, even though the land didn't belong to you when we got here. And our God gave us the strength to take the land from those who attacked us, and we've been here for 300 years, and nobody's had any complaints about it. So, no, I'm not going to just give this land back to you, because we didn't take it from you. It doesn't belong to you. You have no claim to it. And it was given to us by God. So if you have an issue with it, you need to take it up with God and let him be the judge here. It's a really strong argument that he makes. And, and we see that Jephthah really came prepared with a lot of historical knowledge to this this, this argument that takes place between him and the king of the Ammonites, where he says all of these things to prove that not only did they not take the land from the Ammonites when they came up out of Egypt, but they also have no reason to give it back to someone that they didn't even take it from. And we can also see that them going around the, ter the territory of the Moabites and Ammonites wasn't just their idea, it was what God told them to do. If we go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 2, in verse 9 it says, The Lord said to me, Do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given our to the descendants of Lot as a possession. And then also in Deuteronomy chapter 2, if you go down to verse 19, says, When you come to the Ammonites, do not harass them or provoke them to war. For I will not give you possession of any land belonging to the Ammonites. I have given it as a possession to the descendants of Lot. So in those two verses in that chapter, we see God told them, Don't attack the Moabites, don't even harass them and provoke them to war, and don't do that with the Ammonites either. So, 
They get to the Ammonite territory. Can we go through? No, you can't. All right, how about the Moabites? Can we go through your territory? No, you can't. All right, well, God told us, don't harass you, don't provoke you to war. We're not even going to set foot in your territory. We're going to go all the way around. And then to the people of Sion, can we go through your territory? No, and we're going to attack you. And I say, well, God didn't tell us to, you know, not go to war with you, and you're the ones attacking us. And even though we're exhausted, we trust God to give us strength, which he did. So all of these things, Jephthah presents his case, the case of the Israelites, in response to the claim of the king of the Ammonites. And Jephthah understood that just because the Ammonite king was making a claim for that land didn't mean that the land belonged to him. Jephthah understood that a claim has no authority in itself. That people can't just claim anything they want. They, just, they can't just say whatever they want and it becomes true. It needs to be backed up by some sort of authoritative source. And that's why Jephthah then says, no, we're not going to give that land to you because this and 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 provides authority behind his argument, which, of course, the Ammonite king completely ignored because it's pretty clear that he didn't actually believe the land belonged to him. It was more like he just wanted an excuse to try to take the land from them. And that was the best excuse that he could come up with. And so when he was called out for it, his only response was to retaliate, retaliate with violence. Because there truly was no authority behind his claim. And so even though Jephthah tried to bring the Ammonite king to a place of truth and understanding, and allowed him to still make counter-arguments, he didn't want to. He didn't want to come to a place of understanding. He was going to believe what he wanted to believe and do what he wanted to do. And he didn't have to provide any authority or any reason for it. He was just going to do it because that's what he wanted to do. And so again, we see that that lack of, of understanding between Jephthah and the Ammonite king on no failure on Jephthah's part as he was trying to bring them to a place of understanding, ended up allowing this escalation to take place where he can continue to claim that land is mine, it belongs to the Ammonites, and so we're going to take it. And even though we can't argue with you about that, we can't explain why that's the case, we're just going to do it anyways. And again, that just highlights why it is so important to build that understanding before it reaches that point. And to make claims with authority behind it, to make claims with evidence, rather than just making any kind of claim that leads to more conflict as there is a lack of understanding between people, because the claims are not made on truth, they are made upon feelings and desires, that then 
lead to more misunderstanding and a longer period of misunderstanding that continues to escalate into more violent situations. And I think that this passage is such an incredible mirror of what has taken place recently with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Because when you hear the claim that Putin made for that invasion, it's a lot of the same claim that Ukraine is a part of Russia, it's not its own state, it never was, that land belongs to Russia. And so it's their right to take it back. Even though they're saying, no, we separated from Russia. No, we are our own state now. We're separate from you. We don't belong to you anymore. This isn't your land. He just said, I think it is our land, so we're going to take it. It's so similar to what's happening in this passage of Scripture. The Ammonite king says, that's our land. Give it up peaceably. Put down your weapons. Do the peaceful thing and set your weapons aside. Do the peaceful thing and give us back what's ours. And Jephthah says, Well, what authority are you making that claim? This is not your land. These are the reasons why it's not your land. We didn't take the land from you. We went around your territory. And we've been here for 300 years. And nobody has made a claim against it. Because nobody believed what it is that you are claiming now. This is not your land. So no, we are not going to just roll over and let you take it. Your claim has no authority behind it. And I want this passage to be a testimony for us of the importance of not just making claims, not just saying what you believe, but to make sure that you understand why you believe and be able to explain why you believe, and to really understand that any belief that we have needs to be grounded in an understanding of truth, of what is versus what is not. And belief doesn't need to be separate from that. Belief does not exist with a lack of evidence. In fact, it's really quite the opposite, where the more evidence there is for something, the easier it is to believe in it. And we as believers need to understand this. I mean, really, all people need to understand that. But as us, as believers, who I'm speaking to right now, it is so important that we understand why we believe what we believe, and that every belief we have is grounded with an understanding of truth, so that we aren't at risk of just spouting claims with no authority behind it. We have the ultimate authority of the Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture, which has stood the test of time for 2,000 years. We need to ground our belief there so that we aren't getting to this place where we are making claims with no authority behind them. 
You know what we call a claim with no authority? A claim that is false? A misconception. A misunderstanding. Something that is believed that is not true. And we serve a Lord who is the way and the life and the truth. And if we want our life to be based in Christ, it's important that we allow him to share with us the truth of his word and to allow him to break apart any misconceptions that we have. Anything that we believe that has no authority behind it, it's important that we either provide an authority to that belief, most commonly by finding in Scripture where it says that, or if we find that God's Word speaks against that, that speaks a different message than what we believe, that we then allow God to break those misconceptions that we have so that we can come to a clear understanding of the truth. And so I want to leave us today with that question of how do you allow God to break your misconceptions? Is there a process that you have in place? For the things that you believe, do you know where in Scripture to find the backing up for those claims? Or is it based entirely on how you feel? Jephthah's claims were made with evidence and authority. The claims of his brothers that, or, you know, half-brothers that he was an outcast and didn't deserve anything from anyone because of something entirely out of his control, those claims had no authority. The claims of the Ammonite king that this was their land and they needed to give it back, that had no authority. Are we making claims without authority, or are we like Jephthah, coming prepared with knowledge, bringing receipts, bringing authority behind what we believe, understanding why we believe it, and where in Scripture backs that up? And for the things that we don't have, are we willing to go looking for that evidence? And if we find evidence that speaks to the opposite, are we willing to let God break those misconceptions that we have to lead us closer and closer to the truth found in his word? And that is today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to give this a five-star rating if you're listening to it as a podcast or a like if you're listening to it on YouTube or just any of those ways that help boost the algorithm to help get this message out um, for other people to hear. And until next time... Thank you again for taking the time to listen, and it's my prayer that God will bless you as you go throughout your day.